0: Shalom. In last week's podcast, we spoke about the fact that Am Yisrael seems to be fundamentally different than all other groups of people. And in somewhat general terms, we took a look at some of the really wondrous aspects of Jewish history and of Jewish contemporary reality. This week, I'd like to go into that uh, issue a little bit deeper and try to understand exactly what it is that's so unique and so different about Am Yisrael. And let's start with something that's probably somewhat troubling, but is an undeniable reality. And that is the phenomenon that in modern times has been known as anti-Semitism. I think we all are aware that at various points in history, in fact, throughout history, and in just about every society and every time where Am Yisrael existed and operated, there have been people who have opposed us and who have even... Hated us. Now, of course, we're not the only people who have been hated. And we're not the only people who have suffered discrimination or persecution of one type or another. But there's something unique and almost irrational about the hatred of Am Yisrael. First of all, the fact that it's so ubiquitous that no matter where we are, people seem to hate us. And no matter what the circumstances are, um, we're hated for whatever those circumstances are. When we're wealthy, we're hated for being wealthy. When we're poor, we're despised for being poor. When we're religiously and culturally apart from the others, we're suspected and, and, um, and resented for being different. And when we try to assimilate and blend in, uh, we become uh, resented for trying to pretend that we're something that we're not. No matter what Am Yisrael seems to do, there doesn't seem to be any way in which we can escape this almost irrational and uh, ubiquitous opposition, which at times reaches the level of hatred, Chazal already told us that this was going to be the case. There's a famous comment in the Midrash Bereishit Raba, which Rashi quotes in his commentary to Bereshit Lamed Gimel. There we read about the um, the conflict between the conflict between Yaakov and Esav. And we're told in Parshat Vayishlach, after uh, they finally met one another, uh, the Torah tells us in Bereishit Lamad Gimel Pasuk Dalid Vayarot Eisav Likratol Vayichab Kehu. A very emotional scene. Yaakov and Esav, who had been separated for so many years, with such a feeling of great animosity between them. And Yaakov was, as we know, very, very concerned and very worried about this encounter. This very emotional scene of two estranged brothers coming together. He hugged him. He kissed him. And they cried. And as we know, the word, that he kissed him, um, is set off in the text of the Torah by nikudot by Dats, and Rashi quotes two opinions. Rashi says, Yesh chokim badavar hazeh bebright de sifrei." Some read the nikudot as meaning that the kiss was not sincere. Uh, but others say it was sincere. And on that level, he quotes Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Amar Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Halachai hi biyadua she'esav soneli Yaakov. Ela she'nechmeru rachamav be'otah According to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, halacha It's an incredible terminology to use. It's actually a halacha. Other Torah sources use the term halacha sinai. It's a it's a law that Esav is going to hate Yaakov, and therefore, according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, at this one moment when Esav kissed Yaakov in genuine sincerity, that was so unique that it warranted being emphasized by the Torah. But other than that one moment in history, halachahi, she'esav soneli Yaakov. Some understand that term, halachahi, or halakhah Moshe sinai, as meaning that it's built into the laws of nature, and it's something that's absolutely uh, unchangeable. And let me read here a sentence or two from an article written by Rav Aaron Salavechik, Zeychet Sadikl Racha, all the way back in 1966. He published an article under the title Jew and Non-Jew, and um, he writes the following. Our sages say it is halacha le sinai a decree handed down from Mount Sinai that Esav hates Yaakov. One cannot explain on the basis of psychological or sociological principles why there is such a deeply rooted inherent prejudice in the heart and mind of every non-Jew, be it the best of them, against Jews. It cannot be explained. It is a fact. The Midrash Rabbah does not mean Hitler sonel Yaakov. do we have to resort to this source to find out that Hitler was a Jew hater or that Haman was a Jew hater? The Midrash points to Esau in the generic sense. Whoever is a descendant of Esau, be he the saintliest among the chassidei umota olam, has an innate prejudice against the Jews. So understood Rav Aaron Salavechik this principle. He understood it to be a fact of nature that's built into human psychology. And uh, I read there only a few sentences and I skipped something in the middle, but he, he even brings a historical example, which he believes proves this phenomenon, that no matter what they try to do, every single non-Jew harbors an irrational hatred of Am Yisrael in the midst. That's one possibility. However... Although I'm certainly not worthy of challenging Ravaran Salavichik, I'd like to suggest an alternative possibility. Um, perhaps the halakha, of soneli Yaakov, is a law, but not a law of nature. Perhaps it's rather a law of history. And perhaps it's not irrational at all, but something that can be understood, not justified, but understood and explained. And in order to present that possibility, let's look at a few ancient examples of of, of anti Semitism that we see in the Torah or the Tanakh itself. And there are a number, but I'll just point to two. One would be in um, the very beginning of Sefer Shmot. As we know, we read in the beginning of Sefer Shmot, Veil Shmot, very, the very first pasuk, Ve'elah Shmot, Bnei Yisrael habayim mitzrayma. The book of Shmot begins with Shmot B'nei Yisrael, Habayim Mitzraimah, uh, begins with individuals who are called the children of Yisrael, Yisrael here being a person, Yaakov Afinu. And then we're told a few Psukim later, U'v'nei Yisrael paru v'yirbu b'im'od me'od Eventually we're told that Am Yisrael multiplied tremendously in Mitzrayim, And in the very next psukim, for the very first time, Am Yisrael is referred to by that name as an Am. Until this point in the book of Breshit and in the very few uh, first psukim of the book of Shemot, we are referred to simply as a family, as a group of individuals, perhaps a large family, but a family. And it is here for the first time that the word Am is used, and Bezrat Hashem in future weeks will come back to that point and understand it in greater detail. But the Torah tells us in Shmot Perich, Aleph Pasukhet, Vayako Melech Hadash al-Mitzrayim Et Yosef. And we know that Rashi quotes there as well a as to whether it was actually a Melech Hadash or rather a khadash, whether he really didn't know Yosef or he only made it as if he didn't know Yosef. But in any case, once upon a time, Am Yisrael or B'nai Yisrael that were living in Mitzrayim, were treated somewhat well, because after all, one of their people, one of their brethren, Yosef, had been a hero who had saved Mitzrayim from destruction. But now the time came where either literally or figuratively, what Yosef had done was forgotten. And this Melechadash says to his people, Vayomer el-Amo, Hinei am b'nei Yisrael rav ve'atzum mimanu. For the first time, they're called am b'nei Israel, and he says they are greater and more powerful than we are. We better treat, we better think of something wise, some smart, intelligent plan how to deal with them. Penir be lest he become even more multiply, um, lest, lest they multiply even more. The what's the fear? If we don't do something about Am Yisrael's continued success and continued multiplication in Mitzrayim, then they're going to become a threat to national security. Why? The the day will come. When there will be a war, the Nosaf Gamhu Al Son Enu, Am Yisrael, will join up with our enemies, the Khambanu, and they will fight against us, the Alamina Aretz. And either they will leave the land or they'll drive us out of the land, depending on how that pasuk is to be understood. So we see here that Paro was concerned that Am Yisrael was not loyal, and that their very existence in large numbers in Mitzrayim, would be a threat to national security, that in a time of war, uh, if Mitzrayim were to be attacked by an external enemy, then B'nai Yisrael or Am Yisrael that are living in Mitzrayim would perhaps become what we call a fifth column and would become uh, a threat and would join with the enemies in order to um, help defeat Mitzrayim from within. Now, the Torah does not give us any indication whatsoever that there was any r- logical reason for Paro to have any such concern. Am Yisrael, first of all, the expression, the expression that uh, the, the descendants of B'nai Yisrael were actually more numerous and more powerful than the Mitzrim, seems like it must have been exaggerated. It doesn't seem likely that those were objective facts, that there actually were more B'nai Yisrael than there were Mitzrim, or that they were more powerful. It seems to be a psychological reality, uh, a paranoia, if you will, And also the concern that they may join up with an enemy, that they may um, become a threat to security, it's not clear why such a concern was warranted. After all, as far as we know, B'nai Israel had not shown any signs of disloyalty. And again, to the contrary, their ancestor Yosef had been an Egyptian patriot. He had literally saved Mitzrayim from destruction. And he sided with Paro, one could argue even against his own brothers or at least perhaps it could have been seen. So why Why exactly was Paro so concerned? The Torah does not tell us. But it does tell us that from the very first moment that Am Yisrael existed as an Am, this concern was there. And now, let's take a look at a different incident, also uh, told to us in the Tanakh, but from a completely different period in history. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, after Am Yisrael left Mitzrayim and came uh, into Eretz Israel and were eventually thrown out of Eretz Israel. in a very different part of the world in Persia we know that our great enemy Haman rose as is told to us in the book of Esther uh, and uh, wanted to destroy us and uh, Haman needed of course as we know to get permission from Achashverosh the king to do this and in Paragimel of Megilat Esther, the Sefer tells us what he said to Achash Verosh in order to secure the necessary permission. I'm reading from Perek Pasukhet Pasuk Vayomer Haman Lamelech Achash Verosh. Yeshno am echad mifuzar u miforad HaAmim ha-amim bechol medinot malchutecha v'dateihem shonot mikol am. And that, I think, I mentioned last time that sometimes our enemies have a perception of who we are that is worth listening to. Because although of course the second half of Haman's sentence and the sentence that followed are sentences we certainly wouldn't agree with, but can there be a more eloquent description of Am Yisrael, for example, as it exists today, more eloquent than Yeshno Am Echad Mefuzar U Miforad Bain HaAmin One Nation that remains one nation, even though they are scattered throughout the nations. So Haman says to Achashverosh, there is such a, even at that time they were scattered throughout the entire 127 provinces, and he continues, their laws and their customs are different. From those of all others. And they do not follow the king's laws. Again, there is no indication that Haman had any factual basis for such an accusation. But this is what he said. It's not a, it's not worthwhile. It's not a good idea to enable them to exist. I suggest that the king uh, consider writing a, creed to de- a decree to destroy them, and he throws in an incentive. He tells him that there will also be an economic benefit. You'll be able to plunder their, their resources. He promises Achashverosh a large amount of money. But actually, Achashverosh wasn't interested in the money. Two psukim later, he says to Haman, you can keep the money. He, he he wasn't concerned with the financial uh, benefits. However, he did agree to allow Haman to destroy, to commit genocide and wipe out an entire group, an entire nation on the basis of what appears to be a completely unsubstantiated accusation that they were disloyal. Very similar to Paro so many hundreds of years earlier. And the only fact that Haman was able to point to, everything else was accusation or conjecture, but the only fact that Haman was able to point to was Yeshno Am Echad Mifuzaru Miforad Bein HaAmin. It seems that that element alone was enough to convince Achashverosh. Those are some biblical examples. But let me quote one more of many possible modern examples. Just to show you that nothing has changed, and here I quote a source that I feel the need almost to apologize for quoting. It's not something that we normally that we normally look at, but I think uh, again from our enemies we have a lot to learn, and it pays to listen to what they say. So let me read to you a short sentence or two from Mein Kampf, from the as we know the autobiography of Adolf Hitler. Yamach Shemo, uh, undoubtedly. One of our greatest enemies ever, if not our greatest enemy, the one in in recent times who succeeded, unfortunately, in murdering so many millions of our people. I don't know what's true and what's false, but uh, this is what Hitler wrote about, uh, and I have here two short quotes from Mein Kampf from two different places, when Hitler himself tries to explain where his opposition to the Jewish people comes from. I don't know if this is what actually happened or not, but I do know that this is the way he wanted the world, To understand it. So the first passage, he's speaking about himself in his youth and he writes, Once as I was strolling through the inner city of Vienna, I suddenly encountered an apparition in a black kaftan and black hair locks. Is this a Jew? was my first thought. I observed the man furtively and cautiously, but the longer I stared at this foreign face, scrutinizing feature for feature, the more my first question assumed a new form. Not, is this a Jew, but is this a German? Yet I could no longer very well doubt that the objects of my study were not Germans of a special religion, but a people in themselves. Listen to that. Hitler sees a person living in Germany who's dressed differently and acted differently, but assumedly he wasn't the only one. There were other groups, other minority groups, I'm sure, that lived there at that time. But he looks, at, he looks at a Jew and says, this is not a German. This is a people in themselves. And later on, he makes the following comment. The Jewish state was never spatially limited in itself, never limited in space, but universally unlimited as to space, though restricted in the sense of embracing only one race. Consequently, this people has always formed a state within the states. And here Hitler, in, uh, in modern Germany, makes an accusation, again without any real information or evidence to back it up, but an accusation that in an uncanny way echoes that which was proclaimed and written in the Torah by Parol Melech Mitzrayim so many thousands of years ago and in a completely different time by Haman. And today as well, we have no doubt that the world relates to us differently. I, I could quote example upon example upon example, but uh, I, I think it's unnecessary. I think we all realize that Jewish people and the Jewish nation and the Jewish state are treated fundamentally differently by everyone. And there's a certain suspicion, there's a certain uh, antipathy, animosity, and at times hatred that's leveled against us for reasons that we cannot possibly seem to fathom. But I think, perhaps, and again, unlike Rav Aaron Soloveitchik's interpretation, I think perhaps, without justifying, of course, this uh, opposition and hatred, I think perhaps we can understand where maybe it's coming from. If you look at the three instances I just quoted, Paro and Haman and Hitler they all seem to point to something without really providing any evidence. But this concept that although the Jewish people are living in a certain country, and although they may be acting as law-abiding citizens, and in one way or another are conducting themselves similar to the other citizens of this country, that they're not really part of that country, and therefore that they can't really be trusted. Where's that coming from? Allow me to make a suggestion. There is something, something objective about Am Yisrael that doesn't seem to make any sense. And here I return to a comment that I began last, with which I began last week's podcast. I referred to Am Yisrael as a unique entity. Entity. Now, of course, there are other words I could have used. What could I have called us? I could have called us a nation. That's what the word Am means. But the truth of the matter is that calling us a nation uh, doesn't really work. What is, after all, the definition of a nation? Let me read to you uh, the definition of the word nation from Webster's Dictionary. Um, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a nation as a community of people composed of one or more nationalities and possessing a more or less defined territory and government. Again, a nation is a community of people composed of one or more nationalities and possessing a more or less defined territory and government. Now, in defining the word nation, they use the word nationality. That's a very similar word. So let's look up nationality in the dictionary. And it tells me that a nationality is a people having a common origin, tradition, and language and capable of forming... Or actually constituting a nation state. Okay, so basically, according to Webster's dictionary, the terms nation and nationality are used to refer to a group of people that have a common origin, tradition, and language. People who are descended from the same, from the same group of people that live in the same geographic area, that possess a, a a geographic territory, and that either have or have at least the potential to form a nation-state with its own government. Does that description apply to Am Yisrael? Well, it certainly does today. Today, we are, at least the part of us that lives here in Medina Yisrael, at least that part of us, has a defined territory, more or less, perhaps a less defined territory. We're still arguing about the borders, but there is a certain Part of the world that's known as our land, we certainly do have our own government. We certainly do have our own language, and even those who live in other places perhaps can be viewed as as connected in some way to that entity. So today, perhaps we can use the classic term "nation" to refer to Am Yisrael, and in ancient times as well. If we go back to the times of the first Beit Hamikdash, maybe the second Beit Hamikdash, we could make such a claim, but. For many parts of Jewish history that wasn't true at all. Look at us in the Middle Ages. Uh, let's say around the year one thousand. We were scattered across the world. We didn't have we didn't speak the same language. We didn't have the same culture. We certainly didn't have any territory of our own. And the idea that we have the ability to form a nation state at that point would have seemed completely, completely out of whack or completely, completely untrue. So maybe it's correct to say that at certain points in history, Am Yisrael was a nation, but there definitely were many, many points in time where there was no such thing as a nation, by the classic sense of that term, that could be called Am Yisrael. And yet, undoubtedly, Am Yisrael still existed in the Middle Ages. So, maybe there is a Jewish nation, but that's not what Am Yisrael is. Am Yisrael can exist even when there's no nation. So what else could we be? Well, of course, in other possibilities, we could be called a religious group. There are religions in the world, there are Christians, there are Muslims, there are Buddhists. And those religious groups don't uh, live in the same... For example, there are Christians in many, many, many different countries. Uh, They speak different languages, they have very different culture. The only thing they have in common is their religion. So perhaps that's what Am is. we're a religious group at times we're this we were in the same nation perhaps at other points in history we're we're not a nation but we we always had the same religion but that's not always true either because although there is a Jewish religion, one does not need to believe in or observe that religion to be Jewish we will we will, not only we but the world will universally represent recognize Someone who de- who's born to a Jewish parents and calls himself an atheist as a, as a Jew. The concept of an atheist Jew certainly exists. But think about it. Can there be an atheist Christian? Can there be an atheist Muslim? Those terms are oxymorons. A Christian is someone who believes in and worships or observes Christianity. A Muslim is someone who observes Islam and believes in it. If you're an atheist, you're not a Christian, you're not a Muslim but you could be an atheist Jew. In fact, some might argue that one could even be a Christian Jew. You may be familiar with the case of, that was known as Brother Daniel, a case that reached the Israeli Supreme Court in the 1960s, of a person who had been born Jewish right after the Holocaust, had become converted to Christianity and had become ultimately a Christian monk, but wanted to move to, to Israel under Chokashvut, under the Law of Return, because he called himself a Jew. And the Israeli Supreme Court said, how can you be a Jew? You're a Christian. And he said, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a Jew. Such an argument, the the Supreme Court ruled against him, but such an argument, no one would ever suggest that someone could be a Christian Muslim. That's an oxymoron. Uh, Or an atheist Muslim, but you can be an atheist Jew. Maybe you could even be a Christian Jew. So, There is a Jewish nation perhaps and there is a Jewish religion perhaps but one doesn't have to be part of that nation or part of that religion to be a Jew. So what is Am Yisrael? It's an entity. It's an entity that goes beyond the terms religion or nation or any other term you could use. Ethnic group. Hitler called us a race but we're not a race either because you can be black, you can be white, you can be Indian, Asian and you can be a Jew. So what does it mean? What is Am Yisrael? I can make this point I can take this point even one step further. And I can create a a scenario in which I can show you two hypothetical Jews that have absolutely nothing in common. And to to make this simpler, let's go back about 150 or 200 years. And let's look at two hypothetical Jews. One of whom lives in Krakow sometime at the beginning of the 19th century, let's say around the year 1800 or so, or, or 1780 maybe, in Krakow. And another one who lives in Baghdad. These two Jews certainly have never met each other. And if they could meet each other, they probably couldn't have a conversation. The one in Krakow, his language is Yiddish. The one in Baghdad, he speaks Arabic. If you look at them, they have very different lifestyles. If you look at the clothing that they wear, if you look at the foods that they eat, if you look at their occupations, if you look at every aspect of their lives, they have nothing in common. In fact, they each have a lot more in common with the non-Jews who live next door to them. Their clothing is a lot more similar. Their language is a lot more similar. The the Jew in Krakow probably speaks Yiddish, whereas his non-Jewish neighbors speak Polish. But the Jew in Baghdad speaks Arabic, pretty much the same Arabic that his neighbors speak. And his clothing is Arab. And and, And the foods that he eats are Arab foods. There's only two things you might be able to say that these people have in common. One, of course, is their religion. But I could change the story by telling you that one of these two Jews, perhaps the one, probably the one in Krakow, was not a religious. Perhaps he was a member of the Haskalah uh, who had left a religious observance. Perhaps he was even an atheist. He was a Jew who wore, who, wore, uh, who spoke Yiddish, who perhaps wore Jewish-style clothes, who ate Jewish-style food, but he was an atheist. Whereas the other one, perhaps, was deeply religious. So they don't speak the same language and they don't wear the same clothing, and they don't eat the same food, and they don't even observe the same religion, they don't believe in the same God, perhaps. The one thing is, you could tell me, that if you go back far enough in history, they're descended from the same people, they're children of the same ancestors. But first of all, I'd have to go back probably thousands of years to get to a common uh, ancestor. And if either one of these two was perhaps the descendant of converts, and that's not at all unlikely, then they didn't have common ancestors either. So here I have two people who don't speak the same language, who don't wear the same kind of clothing, who don't eat the same kind of foods, who don't have the same beliefs, who don't have the same ethnic or or racial background, genetic background. There's absolutely nothing these two people have in common. And yet, each of them and their non-Jewish neighbors would all agree that the one who lives in Poland is not a Pole and the one who lives in Baghdad is not an Arab or uh, or an Iraqi, and that they are, bro- they are both part of Am Yisrael and that they are brothers. The two of them would agree to that and their non-Jewish neighbors would agree to that. They would say, he's not my brother. He's the brother of the other Jew in that distant land. This defies all logic. It cannot be explained. We cannot even define. The only word we can really use to completely describe what Am Yisrael is is some sort of an entity. And yet, Am Yisrael exists. It's a fact of history. It's a fact that cannot be denied. Even when, as we mentioned this last week, even when Jews tried to deny it, like Alfred Dreyfus did, and we'll talk about him perhaps next week, it doesn't work. As the Torah told us, we quoted the Pasuk last week, (inaudible) No matter what we do, we cannot blend in, we cannot be considered part of society. Something about us keeps us together and defines us as am Yisrael, regardless of what we do or try to do. And perhaps it's that inexplicable fact that creates such fear and such suspicion. Perhaps that's the source of the halakha hi biadua, she'esav soneli Yaakov. Next week, Bezrat Hashem, we'll look at how this played out uh, in the more recent history, and what modern events were caused by this very strange reality. And um After understanding that and getting a little bit more of an insight into what Am Yisrael is without understanding why, then we'll start going back to the Torah itself and see that the Torah actually explains all of this to us in very great uh, detail.